0: Welcome to The Collective Table, the ultimate female perspective on Jesus, justice and joy with Chelsea Simon, with Dana Black and with Claire Watson. We are all United Methodist pastors in different places of the ordination process. The three of us are working to provide progressive and affirming Christian content, resources and community through The Collective Table. The Collective Table offers many ways to connect in person and virtually, such as a podcast, We are in our sixth season of the podcast, diving into the parables of Jesus. Each episode, we will discuss these stories that Jesus told, which uproot, not confirm conventional thoughts and ideas. They are not motivational snippets or general truths. This may seem surprising or unsettling for many of us, especially if you've been raised in the Christian faith tradition. Our goal throughout the season is to help you get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. What part, moment, or person in the parable caused a reaction of resistance rather than acceptance? How might we, together in community, understand this parable from a different perspective? Can we allow ourselves to seek with curiosity so the breath of God can speak to us today in our time and space? everyone, Claire here. Today for our fourth episode of season six, we'll be looking at Luke 12, 13 through 21, the parable of the rich fool. But I would say that he's more lonely than foolish. So let's turn to the text and see what it has in store for us. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Here's Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone from the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me jesus said to him man who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother then jesus said to them watch out guard yourself against all kinds of greed after all one's life isn't determined by one's possessions even when someone is very wealthy then he told them a parable A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, What will I do? I have no place to store all this harvest. Then he thought, Here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, You have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. But God said to him, Fool. Tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich towards God. Let us pray. God, open our hearts today to hear what you have to say to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here we are right in the middle of the Gospel of Luke. And I have to admit, Luke is my favorite gospel. Luke's story about Jesus begins with his mother Mary singing about tipping the mighty from their thrones and sending the rich away empty while lifting up the lowly and feeding the hungry. And as Jesus grows up and begins his ministry, he's described in Luke as proclaiming woes on the rich. He gives to beggars and doesn't expect any repayment. He proclaims that God is on the side of the oppressed, and he says that he is sent to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And then I get to Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool, otherwise known as Jesus's warning against greed, or the parable of the greedy farmer. Jesus talks about wealth, greediness, and even death. When I get to this part, it's not quite the triumphant, exciting, and social justice flavors that I thought... I was getting into. So in Luke 12, a man emerges from the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, and this guy demands that Jesus settle his family dispute. It seems like this man's brother will not split his inheritance with him, and seeing as the Jewish law did specify that the oldest son should receive double the younger share, this is drawn out in Deuteronomy 21 17, this was not a crazy question for this guy to ask, but he did not ask. Jesus, what he should do. Instead, he insisted that Jesus tell his brother to give him his money. So when Jesus responds, who appointed me as a referee? He's not just pushing back on this man's forthright request. He's making it clear that this guy is trying to put words in his mouth. And Jesus is not going to have that. Jesus, fully human, fully divine, God with us here and now, is not here to settle our disputes. In fact, as we know from looking at parables this season, his ways can do just the opposite, that is, rupture our entire way of thinking. So it's no surprise that he responds with a parable, a type of story not meant to provide a yes or no answer, not meant to settle a dispute, but rather meant to paint a picture, to expand our world, an illustration that can speak to specific situations like this man, using stories. As Nadia Boltzweber puts it, if we were to read parables as instructions on how to behave, it would be like using a riddle to get directions to the airport. So it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to give this guy a straightforward yes or no answer. He wants him to see the bigger picture. So Jesus tells the story of a rich man who had a really great year. His crops did really well and he had a bunch left over. So he built bigger barns and stored his surplus. The rich man even quotes the book of Ecclesiastes, citing that he can now live a good life of eating, drinking, and being merry, now that he has stored up a good fortune for himself. He is set for life. That's not so bad, is it? But then there's a catch. He has what my mom would call a come-to-Jesus moment, a serious conversation with God, and he has to grapple with his death, with his mortality, with the impermanence of life. And God shows him that ultimately everything he stored up for himself is going to rot, and no one is going to even reap the benefits of all of this. Wow. At first glance, it seems like Jesus might be telling this man to entirely forgo his portion of the inheritance, right? I mean, the guy who stored up grain for himself ended up just dying, and none of it mattered. I read this and wonder about that 20-pound bag of beans and rice I have from Costco in the back of my closet, should disaster hit. Is it really that bad to be prepared? Jesus bookends this parable with two important statements. He first tells the man that he's talking to, to watch out against all kinds of greed, and that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he ends the parable by saying that those who store up things, but are not, and I quote, rich towards God, Will ultimately die. So let's think about these statements. First, the one about greed. The word for greed that Jesus uses is plenexia, also known as avarice. This idea of endlessly wanting more and more and more. When the storing up of anything becomes never enough. Then the word for life Jesus uses is zoe. So when God tells the rich man in the parable that his life will be demanded of him, He's talking about life in the realest and most biological sense of the word. What Jesus is saying is that greed ultimately begets death. So you might be wondering now, does this mean that my savings and investments are going to be my demise? I mean, maybe, but that's not necessarily the point. The root of Jesus' idea here is that when we attempt to build up our own worlds with no regard for others, when no matter how much we've earned and saved, nothing seems like enough, When we live our lives climbing a ladder of ego while stepping on the heads of those below us, that can all feel great at first. We can kick our feet up, have a drink, and breathe for a little bit. Like the man in the parable, we can be set for life. We can buy whatever we want. We can have plenty to eat. We can even put gas in our cars when it gets up to $8. We can water our lawns, no matter how bad the drought is in California. But Jesus says that that doesn't really matter. He says that we can't buy our way into who we really are. When we do this, it has the potential to separate us from our true selves. It can isolate us from one another and from what really matters. And in the end, we do die a very physical death, no matter who we are or what we have. A death which, when Jesus told this parable, he was on his way towards. So it makes sense that our mortality was at the very forefront of Jesus' mind as he spoke these words. Jesus knew that no amount of preparation could stop us from dying. What I imagine really irked Jesus about this man who asked him to tell his brother all this stuff was not about him actually demanding the inheritance, but about the ways in which it was clear that the fight over it had driven a wedge between this man and his brother. And in his parable, he paints the rich man a fool because he died with nothing but his grain. There wasn't anything wrong with him reaping a good harvest. There wasn't really anything wrong with him saving it either but he has strange family and friends and neighbors at the risk of being set for life. He may have made enough to live off for a very long time but in doing so he kept his people at arm's length. We know this not just because he was alone when he died but because there was no one for him to pass his wealth onto. So no, your 401k is not going to kill you. If you're lucky enough to have one, please keep it. Jesus was not offering financial advice or playing financial advisor in this moment. He was instead trying to warn this man about self-imposed loneliness. Jesus was trying to tell this man that being concerned over receiving his part of the inheritance over his relationship with others could end in a deep, deep state of loneliness. When I talk about being lonely, I'm working off of a definition of loneliness that means without company, cut off from others, or longing for companionship. The type of loneliness that Justin Bieber sings about in his song, Lonely, a song in which he recounts his young rise to fame, getting to have it all, but ultimately he ends up alone with no one to call when he needs it, is someone who is identified as a believer since Justin Drew Bieber was discovered by Usher in 2008 and yes, ask me sometime about the life-size cardboard cutout I used to have in my teenage room, I remember first hearing this song when it came out and feeling so sad, knowing that despite all that Justin had done and all he had earned for himself, he was lonely, sad, and depressed. If you get a chance, go listen to the song. You can feel his loneliness as he's singing it. What I am not talking about is the type of loneliness that comes into our lives in ways that are out of our control. Those who are widowed, orphaned, abandoned, and neglected to no fault of their own should be looked after with care. And in fact, one of our primary calls as followers of Christ is to take care of these folks. The type of loneliness that I'm getting at here is a kind that we have the potential to bring upon ourselves. A disease of avarice and greed that if we're not paying attention consumes us so much so that we end up closing ourselves off with walls we've built. Walls that can be made up of wealth, time, attention, ego, power, aesthetic, image, you name it. Those things that keep us on the hamster wheel of always wanting more and more and more. The things that take our focus away from what's real and actually happening around us in real life and real time. What the writer of the epistle, James, talks about in chapter four when they ask, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Did they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? That's the loneliness that Jesus gets at in the parable of the rich fool. Or at this point, shouldn't we just start calling it the parable of the really lonely guy? This is the loneliness that can even be hazardous to our physical health. In fact, many studies have shown that loneliness is closely tied to an increased risk of early mortality. It's no wonder that the guy in the parable had to reckon with his mortality. Loneliness can be, in fact, profoundly connected to death. Both the death of our bodies and the death of our souls. So, what is the antidote to this loneliness? Where's the hope? Where is the good news? When Jesus finishes telling his parable, he uses an interesting phrase. He talks about being rich towards God and uses it in contrast to those who, quote, store things up for themselves. So, what does it mean then to be rich towards God? Let's think about what the rich fool lacked, why he was foolish. He set himself up to have everything that he needed. But he did not have any one as we know there are many ways to understand parables depending on where you're standing and the jesus that we get to know in luke's gospel the one telling this parable spends his time eating with people who are poor societal outcasts and he's often found arguing with and speaking out against the rich and powerful so when he tells this man who wants his inheritance to be on his guard against greed, I think he's trying to say that the hoarding of resources, money, possessions, power, can be quite dangerous for us as humans. It's not part of our design. And we can look to Jesus to see what is part of our design. Jesus, who sat and ate at dinner tables with all sorts of people, whose hands touched and healed sick people, whose arms comforted and welcomed the outcast. Jesus shows us a life lived Rich towards God. This life that shows us that God's heart is ultimately with the poor. It's in there in the trenches in the real life things. The good news in all of this is that Jesus liberates us from that hamster wheel of wanting more and more and more. And he offers us a counter narrative to these walls, these hells that we've created for ourselves, those things made of power, ego, image, self righteousness. He offers us a new way of living, one that prioritizes the flesh and bone and realness around us, our world that's infused with God's love, not an image or aesthetic that we can buy, but a life filled to the brim with generosity and people and community, a sharing that we get to be both on the giving and receiving ends. That is the antidote to this loneliness. So hear this, rich or poor or somewhere in between. God offers you an abundant life, not one defined by what you have, but who you are. A life made great because of the people and community that surround you. A life that at the end of our days, we would have barns filled to the brim, not with crops or grain, but with an inheritance of love. May it be so. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Together, we are what God looks like. The Collective Table is supported by San Diego United Methodist Church in Encinitas, California, and the California Pacific Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. A big thank you to our producer and content editor, Claire Watson. If you'd like to financially support the work of The Collective Table, please visit us at thecollectivetable.org. There you can also find out more about who we are and view past episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, YouTube channel and newsletter and keep up with us on our Instagram and Facebook at The Collective Table.